Welcome to the Center for the Performing Arts at Penn State. I'm Communications Director Laura Sullivan, and you're in tune with Previews. In addition to works by Puccini, Verdi, and three Chinese Americans, the Ying Quartet's program at Penn State features a performance of Claude Debussy's Quartet in G Minor. The only quartet he composed stands as a bridge from 19th century Romanticism to 20th century Modernism. Previews editor John Mark Raffis speaks with Taylor Greer, Associate Professor of Music Theory at Penn State, about Debussy's rejection of the status quo, his hedonistic personality, and his brilliant contribution to chamber music. Just to get us oriented, uh, uh, Claude Debussy, or Debussy, he was born in the 1860s, uh, and he died at the end of World War I, about 1918. He was a quintessentially French composer. Uh, his sensibility is based on freedom and improvisation, on the, on the world of dreams and subtle nuances of color and emotion. He was really a pioneer of modern music, yet many considered him a kind of quiet revolutionary. He was born in pretty humble circumstances. His father owned a china shop in Paris, uh, and then he was thrown in jail, the father, after joining the commune insurrection of the 1870s. So Debussy spent 10 years in the French Conservatory, teenagers of 10 and 20. He arrived as a pianist, departed as a composer. He had no other formal education. Throughout his whole life, he heaped nothing but scorn on the academy, and it's a reliance on strict rules and formulas. One of his one-liners, which he wrote, is, There is no theory. You merely have to listen. Pleasure is the law. There's kind of a curious, bizarre chain of coincidences in the history of French music. Um, his second wife is a singer named Emma Bardock. And she, is, uh, she had already been a collaborator and probably a lover of Gabrielle Fauré, who was one of the giants of the preceding generation of French composers. So Claude and Emma ran off together in the early 1900s. Uh, and went off to an island just off the coast of France called Jersey. Quite the character. Um, real hedonist. Lived right. for pleasure. Some people, I guess it's often said that his music was impressionistic, but, but I understand that he uh, sort of bristled at the term. Can he be described as an impressionist? I think that you cannot look at his music uh, without thinking of it in context with other arts of the day, painting and literature. So he's always been called an Impressionist since some of his earliest uh, music was performed. And it's really ironic. Uh, the, the painters such as Monet, Renoir, Degas, those are household names. Debussy had an allergic reaction to any ism that was applied to his own music. His own personal taste in art was, was other, other painters. I don't know if our listeners would know them. Watteau, he's an 18th century French guy. Turner. Whistler, as in Whistler's mother. Those are uh, painters that he liked. Uh, he also was quite fascinated by the wave of Orientalism that swept over Paris mm -hmm. uh, during that time. Uh, but for better or worse, he will always be associated with the Impressionist label. And in many pieces, it is a good starting point to appreciate the delicate nuances in his music. And an ism that would really be a little more appropriate would be symbolism. But that's kind of a complex world. It's a world of dream ambiguity, uh, and poets like Paul Verlaine, Stéphane Mallarmé, uh, these would have been examples of symbolists. These are poets that Debussy read and, and loved, and then set 
some of their text to music. In a nutshell, what was their movement about? If you have a, a piece uh, that WC composed, it's called The Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn, and it's a prelude, but in fact there is a poem called Afternoon of a Fawn. A fawn is not a baby deer. Uh, in the French, uh, the meaning that he ascribes to it is that it's a Greek mythological character, sort of like a satyr, uh, half goat, half man, uh, and lives for pleasure. This is a uh, sort of figure out of ancient history, uh, mythological. But the thing is that it's a story, a poem, about the memory, the dream of a nymph. Or is it really a nymph? I can't really tell. And through the whole poem, you don't really know the difference. And it's kind of a fascinating world that the original poet creates, some, full of nuance and subtlety. But you really can't pin the narrator down in this poem. What's going on? Is it true or is it some kind of fantasy? And Debussy's music really captures that, his, his orchestral piece, Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn. Really, it seems to me, uh, it captures that somewhere in between the two worlds of dream and reality. So there was a, an exotic element to his music. Oh, absolutely, and the exoticism is directly related uh, to an event that happened in 1889, uh, a World's Fair or Universal Exposition. And all of us know the vestiges of that fair, even if we weren't there, because that's when they built the Eiffel Tower to celebrate right. that moment. And that summer, not only was there this great tower there were, that is exotic, musicians, dancers, in particular there were uh, dancers from Indonesia, from Java, and there were gamelan ensembles playing their bizarre instruments uh, right at the foot of the Eiffel Tower. And Debussy and Lavon, many other composers of the day heard that music and was just enthralled, uh, thought it was glorious. So uh, the, one of the things that influenced him was their, the sounds of the music, their scales, and, uh, and that ended up in, in his own music in very specific ways later, even if he didn't use the same instruments that those musicians had uh, in Paris that summer. Uh, I'd say another thing about it is is this feeling of spontaneity that, that any piece, and that includes the quartet that, that our audience will be hearing, there's a feeling that that's being invented right on the spot. And yet, to achieve that effect, Debussy revised and revised his scores. It was never a quick and easy thing for him, a real perfectionist. A critic once said about him, quote, like any Frenchman building a bridge, cooking a meal, or laying out a garden. Debussy felt, he imagined, he reasoned, and he constructed in that order. There's some, some interesting things there, that he's a real sensualist, he really lives for pleasure, and yet there's some order there, there's some kind of logic <clears throat> that, that organizes all that spontaneity. The last thing about his music is that it's really, he's so cultivated the concept of color, tone color, timbre, texture, this fascination with not only for the orchestra but also in the string quartet new kinds of sounds there's a curious coincidence here is that some of the moments in that quartet they almost sound as if they're influenced by American jazz uh, and that's largely because of the harmonies but there'd be no way he would have ever heard a jazz piece in 1893 it didn't exist yet but there's a kind of curious parallel between French music turn of the century and the birth of American jazz so he really was the link from um from Romanticism to um, 20th century modernism. Yeah, that's a, a good summary, I think. 
in, in, a, in short, his aesthetic sensibility, he's inspired by a wide range of sources, and, and international, as I said, Russian, Spanish, Asian, even popular music. But he was always a unique synthesis, uh, greater than the sum of its parts. Um, we can see how some of this is illustrated in the actual quartet. Uh, we're not going to be playing it today, uh, but when you're at the concert, you could be listening for uh, the first movement, where you'll definitely be hearing some exotic scales. Uh, the, the terms are whole tone, pentatonic, but um, basically something that sounds exotic, foreign. Uh, they don't last the entire movement, though. They're just fleeting. They pass by like a whirlwind. Uh, and that's typical for Debussy. It's just a hint of this exotic feel. Uh, and the second movement, and that's really one of the glorious, glorious things. I really, uh, you have to sit up uh, forward in your chair for that one because it's a technical tour de force, just plucking prowess of our string players, uh, what they call pizzicato. Uh, it's kind of a kaleidoscope of different musical colors and timbres, uh, but the effect is a, uh, like a dance, light, playful dance of elves. The music really shimmers, it, it dazzles. Uh, and you have to be thinking along with another quartet by uh, one of Debussy's contemporaries, Maurice Ravel, who also wrote one string quartet. And the second movement of that quartet, along with Debussy's, are like the two crown jewels of French chamber music. Uh, then finally, you have the third movement, uh, which I think is a pretty good example of the spontaneity I was describing. It's just constantly shifting textures, and you feel like there's almost like a recitative for the violist. Uh, big solo supported by haunting chords and then the next minute it almost sounds like you're back in a baroque fugue or something some old-fashioned sound uh, it's just constantly shifting and unpredictable so I think it, a good illustration of spontaneity for its own sake tickets are on sale for the Ying Quartet February 13th at Schwab Auditorium order online at www.cpa.psu.edu or by phone at 1-800-ARTS-TIX. For the Center for the Performing Arts, I'm Laura Sullivan.